What's happening, people? Welcome back to the show. My guest today is the one and only Danny Trejo. He's an actor and a restaurateur, plus he happens to probably have the most recognizable face in Hollywood history. He's just written a new memoir about his life, and today we get to hear his craziest stories from seven decades of doing mad shit. Expect to learn what it was like to meet Charles Manson in jail, who the hardest guy on set at Con Air was, how Danny nearly ended up with the death penalty, whether he actually robbed Antonio Banderas, how he saved Kiefer Sutherland from a psychopath, and much more. Like, what is there to say? You know, it's Danny Trejo. The guy is a living legend. And for all that he was a hard man in his early years and then played even harder men, I suppose, on screen in his roles, he is very rounded. He's got a lot that he wants to try and give back. And I'm super glad that he's got round to writing this memoir. And I'm sure that you're going to really enjoy this episode today. If you do, please make sure that you've hit the subscribe button. It is the only way that you can make sure you do not miss an episode when they go live every Monday, Thursday, and Saturday with the most fascinating humans in the world that have been on death row and robbed Antonio Banderas at the same time, maybe. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Things that you used to do in a day are taking a week. You're drowning so much, you've now promoted your dog from company mascot to customer service representative. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,025 and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25, that is the 25th year anniversary of NetSuite. 25 years of helping businesses to do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system. With one source of truth, manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash modern. That's netsuite.com slash modern to get your own KPI checklist today. If you want more focus in your life, or if you find yourself dealing with an energy slump in the middle of the day where you just don't have the motivation to stay productive, fear not, because I do too which is why I spent more than a year creating the world's first productivity energy drink, Newtonic. Honestly, I'm so proud of this. I was involved in the design stage from the very beginning, and we made sure to only include the most heavily researched and evidence-based ingredients in the world at efficacious doses to create the most potent fuel for your focus ever made. It uses a science-backed formula of nootropic ingredients, including Cognizant for focus, Panax Ginseng to reduce distractions, and L-theanine to remove any jitters and keep you feeling great. We've got thousands of five-star reviews, and you can see exactly why by trying it for yourself right now with free next-day delivery on Amazon Prime in the UK and the USA. Simply head to newtonic.com slash modernwisdom. That's N-E-U-T-O-N-I-C dot com slash Modern Wisdom. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Danny Trejo. Danny Bloody Trejo in the building. How are you doing, man? Great, thank you. Pleasure to have you here. Are you the most killed actor in Hollywood history? 
Yeah, they've got me. Yeah, I'm a, I, I, I wasn't. The last time I counted, I was 68. I think I'm about 90 now. But it's kind of ironic, right? Because you've been killed on screen a lot, but somehow managed to make it out of your life so yeah. far alive. <laughs> That's what everybody says. <laughs> they didn't. I remember when the pandemic, everybody was scared of the, not the pandemic, everybody was scared of the millennium. Oh, the millennium, 2000, the millennium, the millennium. And they asked me, what do you think about the millennium? I said, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't supposed to get out of the 60s. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm on God's time. I've been on God's time since 1968. Borrowed time, man. Yeah, this is extra time. It's weird, right? Because most people's impression of what like a tough guy or a, a hard lad or a guy from the streets is, it comes from movies. You know, not everybody gets to see those people in the flesh, but then most of the people that play those roles aren't from the streets. So it's different <laughs> for you because you've sort of earned your stripes. You are, and then you get to display it as well, right? You know, it's really funny what you just said. When I was trying to write my book, I, I kept getting people that were like English literature majors. They just, it, they would change a few words and it didn't sound, sound like me. It sounded like a, like a, like an English lesson. And so, so uh, uh, Donald Logue, who is a friend of mine, we've been friends since 1991, and uh, uh, he was he was raised in Calexico, uh, uh, right by the Mexican border. Okay, his 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 town crosses the Mexican border, you know, and so so uh, 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 it was like when we started talking. As friends, he not only knew that he was like a, an English literature major, but he he knew the streets. In fact, his hometown had nothing but alleys. So so it was like we understood each other, and we started writing it, and it just flowed. I gave it to my uh, kid's mom, Maeve. <clears throat> I read this, and she says, "It sounds like I'm talking to you." And I thought, "Okay, cool. Then that's what we wanted." Yeah. What was the process like writing that? About two year and a half years, just we would sit together out in my backyard or or driving around or just wherever. We we just stayed kind of like hung real close and for about two and a half years, almost three years, and put it together. That's awesome, man. I had uh, Mark Manson on, who's a an author that's just written Will Smith's memoir slash biography slash autobiography. So him and Will Smith have worked together for the last three years, yeah. and he said yeah. exactly the same thing. Just lived together. It wasn't go into a room yeah. for 13 hours, talk into a tape recorder, and then someone leaves. Hey, it's exactly. this long, very emergent process. Hey, it, I don't know. I would, sometimes we would like, we would like wake up, you know, he'd be on one couch, I'd be on the other. We we fell asleep, you know. I mean, it was just, and it was amazing because, you know, he's got two boys. I got two boys. I got I got uh, my daughter. She's, you know, they're all grown now. So we, we were able to, able to kind of hang. So rolling it back right to your childhood, you had this uncle that really shaped your childhood, right? Like what lessons did you learn from him? Everything. Learned, I learned what I thought was how to be a man. And it was, but it only was, it only was a good deal in San Quentin. <laughs> you know, it was only a, uh, uh, you know, I learned, I, I learned how to survive in an in a unsurvival world. You know, it's like uh, San Quentin is kind of the the epitome of of you're not going to come out. 
you know, and if you do, you you were either a predator or you were prey. Yeah, a lot of prey doesn't come out. So, what were some of the lessons? What did he? What were the, the tactics and the tools that he gave you to make sure that you weren't prey? Well, first of all, don't don't ever fight down. You know, don't ever be a bully. Don't take a step backwards ever. You know, I mean, just never. It doesn't matter. It, it you know is it, it, San Quentin. Prison, it's kind of like there are no tough guys. People think there are these tough guys. There are no such thing as tough guy in prison. Because first of all, uh, four inches of steel will take care of a tough guy in a minute. You know, now I am not going to, if I sock uh, somebody, they're going to sock me back. And then we're going to fight. And then we're going to roll around. And then we're going to get shot. Okay? We're going to get caught. So, if if I have a resentment or I'm angry or somebody disrespected me and I come up behind them and stab them three times and walk away, I didn't get caught and I won. You know, I won. And that that enhanced my reputation. And now out here, well, that was a cowardly act. <laughs> yeah, but I'm still alive. You, you tell know. this story. I think it was after you moved to a school and somebody started up against you and then there was a big group of their friends outside and you yeah. mentioned something like you were prepared to go to a level of violence that yeah. they, they weren't, weren't at all. Yeah, they, have, they didn't have no... The, 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 average, the average person on the street doesn't know the level of violence that is in San Quentin. It's ridiculous. I fight, I don't know, fight you. Let me find something I can beat you over the head with. And people don't understand that the bottom line to an argument is a murder. You know, the bottom line, I'm not, you know, I, I've watched people argue. But basically, I have never seen anybody killed except for in prison that didn't start with an argument. You know, in prison, I always say it's the most right now place in the world because you can die because somebody that you didn't even know didn't get a letter or got a letter. You understand? You know, it's like bad or whatever. And it's like all of a sudden somebody comes running down, bang, 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 and it stabs you. It, you know, how'd that happen? You know, and so so it's like uh, I don't I don't fight I don't argue I don't I don't argue with people I'm, because I know it's like wait a minute man I don't I don't want I don't know if he knows that the bottom line to an argument is a murder I don't know how bad he wants to win this argument so so see because in prison if we argue and you win then I walk away thinking. Wow, that guy made me look like a punk. I mean, he really did. I'm really a punk. Everybody thinks I'm a punk. Uh-oh, I might get raped. Watch out. Let me fix this. So that's so that's what you're taught. So it's like, wait a minute. It doesn't happen. The cost yeah. of losing an argument and both people still being alive is too great yeah. to rep the yeah. reputation of the one that lost. Exactly. Wow, that was good. That's a good I'm, I'm going to write that down and I'm not going to give you credit for it. That's, that's fine. Good. That's absolutely fine. <laughs> Wasn't there a story about how 
a Mexican gang rivalry started over a pair of shoes. Yeah, it's the Mexican mafia. Shoe wars. It was uh, uh, Pie Face, this, this uh, Mexican mafia member, gave a pair of shoes that he stole uh, from somebody from a different area. Like There was north and south. There's, there's southern Mexicans and there's northern Mexicans. Southern Mexicans are, are uh, uh, Mexican mafia. La M. The, the northern Mexicans are La Familia Nuestra. They're another. So Pie Face stole a pair of shoes from one of the Norteños, one of the guys from, and he gave it to Robot Salas, who was one of the leaders of the Mexican Mafia. He gave them. And so when the guy from the northern saw his shoe, hey, those are my shoes, blah, blah. And uh, Robot ended up saying, yeah, we'll take them then. And so he, Robot ended up going into there, stabbing both him and his cell partner. And so that's how that started. For a pair of shoes. Yeah, we're a pair of shoes, yeah. But what was the what was one of the biggest robberies that you were a part of when you were younger? Oh, uh, God, man. I would say uh, Circle Liquor was pretty good. And then uh, Dale's Market, I think. Dale's Market was a pretty big market in the neighborhood, and we took that down. And it was a uh, got away with it. How did that come about? Just we needed money. You know, it, you know that was it. Was funny. It's like this was this therapist or this girl that knew about therapy. We were talking, and she said, "Danny, you have a robbery mentality." I said, "What are you talking about?" I said, "You always think there's money coming." You know, I mean, robbers, I need money. Oh, I'll go get some. You know, <laughs> so life is not an ATM. Life is not an ATM machine. You know? I suppose it is when you can go and pick it off the streets as a young guy. If you need money, yeah. then there's a corner shop. There's a corner shop. There's a man on the street. There's a whatever. Exactly. You know, until somebody shoots you. And you got to remember that, that especially nowadays, I feel sorry for people that are committing crimes now because everybody got guns. There was a time in America when, you know, only the bad guys and the cops had guns. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the shopkeeper's got one, and his daughter's yeah. got one. And Grandma, Grandma's got an automatic, yeah. you know, nine millimeters. So you better cool it, you know. And but you know, good, bad is terrible because we keep having these, you know, these uh, mass shootings, you know. And and I'm sorry, but but I'm one of the people that say automatic weapons are only good for killing people. That's it. I, you know, I, I'm not against for none. Automatic weapons, the only thing they're good for is killing people. You can't shoot rabbits with them. Didn't you end up robbing Antonio Banderas by no, accident? No, no, no. Everybody says that. I never robbed Antonio. Uh, uh, who's, who's trying to stitch you up with a story of Antonio Banderas? Are they start, trying to start a Mexican-Spanish war here or something like that? <laughs> No, but but uh, uh, Cheech Marin went to a school called Alamany. 
I went to a school called San Fernando. We used to take money away from the kids from Alameda, nice Christian Catholic school, you know what I mean? But but uh, but I never robbed Cheech. I love Cheech. That's funny. So how come, if the Mexican mafia is floating around, how come you never joined it? My uncle, Gilbert, bless his soul, said don't get into any, any prison gang. He said, once you get into a prison gang, you have dedicated your life to being incarcerated. You know, not just to the gang, but to the state of California. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And uh, most, uh, it's unbelievable. And so I, I just never, you know, they, they some great, uh, I knew them all. I mean, you know. Edward James almost I saved Edward James almost because I knew some guys, you know, and, and uh, he won't admit it though, you know what I mean? But but uh, but uh, it's uh, it's you know it's like you know I told him when he was gonna make that movie, don't you know? Come on, me and Eddie Bunker, the guy that got me into the movies, right? Because Eddie knew Joe Morgan; they were best friends. Joe Morgan ran the Mexican mafia, and so so Eddie Bunker. Uh, and I talked to Edward James when he had asked me to be in the movie American Me. And, and uh, we asked him, did you talk to Joe? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a lie. He didn't. You know? And he kept saying that that he made this movie very theatrical. And I said, Joe, Eddie, you're not dealing with theatrical people here. You know? And uh, you know, you're dealing with guys that wake you up in the middle of the night and slit your throat. And he was saying, no, but you know, he wouldn't listen. So got in big trouble. In fact, he got in so much. If, if after American me, you don't, you didn't see Edward James until they gave him this break on, uh, on the Mayans. And it's funny, any film that Edward James is on won't call me on it because, you know, he kind of is, still you know as i understand you know it's like he's scared of me uh, i think it's funny <laughs> <laughs> all right so you get through the youth system and then you end up in big boy prison after a bit of time what was like the <laughs> big boy prison yeah exactly yeah. you're out of the kindergarten you're into the proper school now yeah. what was the Easy. toughest prison wing that you ended up in eventually well, you, you, you talk about Soledad, Quentin, Folsom, Tracy. They're all they're all tough prisons, and uh, 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 B section in prison is like you're just locked up. And and uh, I used to, I they used to let me out the yard to B section, and it was funny because because uh, uh, the guards would always tease me, and and I there's two baseball mitts, and and there's a baseball right, and and uh, the guard, hey Trejo, who are you gonna bring? Who are you gonna play catch with? Because <laughs> you know, I'm about that by myself. Your mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, how you buy you like to play catch with this bullet? You little bastard. You know, they would, you know, we'd like bantering. It was just, you know, but I'll, I'll never forget San Quentin B section. You're right on the bay. You're you're right on the bay. And so there's a two a chain link fence. And another chain link fence down there, and it's the gun towers. You're not going to get out of there. They're going to shoot you. But it's probably the best view 
in the prison, you know. <laughs> and but you're by yourself. But I used to sit there, and there was this song that came out. It goes sitting on a dock in the bay, wasting time. And I would sit there and I go, my God. I wonder if he wrote that. Did you write that for me, God? You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> oh, and I used to, it was just a, and uh, and, the, and it was funny. The guard knew that that song. He would play it, and they would uh, he and he go, hey, hey, was that for you, Trejo? <laughs> Here, I'd give him the finger. <laughs> but but uh, uh, I think that's the only time I felt any kind of. Uh, Oh, why am I here? You know what I mean? Otherwise, I'd be into it. You, you don't think of anything else, but but uh, the beautiful view. But especially when you've been in the system for a long time, right? When that's when your friends are there, your community's there, your culture's there. Every, you know what? I went to juvenile hall. There were so many Mexicans in juvenile hall when I went. I thought Mexicans were supposed to go, you know, write a passage or something, you know, because it was all, it was Mexican-American, African-American, and poor whites. No, no rich white, they, you know, they, rich white ain't wanted, you know, but, and, uh, and most of the white guys in juvenile hall kind of gravitate towards the Mexicans because there's not enough of them to stand alone. Now there is, because there's so many poor white guys. It's not like, <laughs> we're even now. <laughs> you know, the world the world's made us all poor. Yeah. So you met Charles Manson in prison, didn't you? What was that in story? Jail. Can you tell in us that? In the county jail. In the county jail. But let me tell you, Charlie wasn't the guy that you saw on the TV specials. All right? He was a... Oh, God, he was like five foot four, five foot five, a little scrawny. He was poor, kind of like a bum, really. He he had a he had a uh, a string for a belt. He tied his pants with a string because he couldn't afford a belt, you know. And, and and everybody else, we dressed, you know, cool, ironed our pants, and and, uh, and so the. Some of the prisoners were gonna take advantage of him because they take advantage of anybody that's small. And uh, we found out that he could hypnotize you, so we we let him sleep in front of our cell to to you know to make sure that nobody would hurt him. And and uh, he got us loaded on weed, and and three of the guys in the cell. Everybody else had like six guys in their cell. We only had three because we were special. <laughs> I had two killers with me, so so so, uh, and then uh, and then he got us loaded on weed, and I said, "Well, get us loaded on heroin." So the three of us tried to get loaded. He got two of us loaded on heroin. One guy just woke up, and afterwards I asked him, "How come? How come you couldn't do him?" And he says, "He asked, did you ever get loaded on heroin?'" He goes, "No." Well, your mind doesn't know how to work. Do you understand? Your mind doesn't know how to react. So if I tell you to do something while you're hypnotized and you haven't done it before or you don't know how to do it, uh, you'll just wake up. And that's what kept happening. 
Yeah, so you're saying that he got he got you guys loaded up on heroin or weed, but there was oh, no absolutely. heroin or weed in the room, right? He was doing this purely through it. hypnosis. People know when I get loaded on heroin, my eyes, I get red under my eyes. And that's like literally uh, the first thing, blah, you, you throw up, you dump. And I mean, uh, me and Chato, he's like, he's like, we both got blah. He dumped in the sink. I dumped in the in the toilet and looked at hey, what you doing? Know, and, and Oh, everybody was like shocked, and and this uh, 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 Johnny Ronnie Cruz, he was like, "Well, what happened? You, you, he never got loaded." And and uh, boy, I kept, I you know, I was sorry when they transferred Charlie out. <laughs> You've basically got unlimited access to anything that you want because he can just keep on hypnotizing you back yeah, into it. Absolutely. What was he in for? Do you know why he was there? Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea. You know, yeah, he was nothing, nothing of any, you know, because he was a petty thief. He was, he wasn't, uh, you know, what, and not to speak ill of the dead, but Charlie couldn't have done that any place, any time, but right there. And my friend, George Perry, knew him in Frisco, knew him in Oakland, okay? And he was a, he was a, a, a scrawny little hippie. And the girls that he got, Linda Kasabian, all of them were broken. You know, all of them, they were up in Oakland and San Francisco being ripped off by the pimps and, and raped by the pimps. And, and so he came around with a big bus and some acid and said, you know, let me lead you. So it was kind of like they looked at him like, yeah, he's the Messiah, you know. They were already vulnerable. They were already primed for somebody they, like him to come in and save already, them. They were so broken, you know, and so needed needed somebody to take care of them. You know? In the same way that you could have done with a bit of extra heroin or weed in, in prison. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so you ended up um you ended up looking at the death penalty at one point. Yeah. What's the story behind that? We we um it was Cinco de Mayo, nineteen sixty eight. And Cinco de Mayo to a Mexican, a real Mexican, spelled backwards, is get bail money. Because, you know, you're going to do something stupid. You know, you tequila, yeah. And and, uh, and so there was like, you know, you had 2,000 drunk Mexicans in Cinco de Mayo and a riot. When, when a riot starts, Ray Pacheco socked a free person, death penalty, uh, uh, when a riot starts, it is like an explosion. Everybody, any resentment you have, you start taking care of it. Any, you just start, you hate prisons, so you start breaking glass. So there's a huge explosion of violence. Henry kicked the coach, Strawmire. Kicked, kicked coach Strawmire. It was alleged that I threw a rock and hit Lieutenant Givens. And, but there's no proof. It's like, you know, somebody said that and, and uh, but all three gas chamber offenses. So when we went to the hole, they took out of 2000 inmates, they took three of us to the hole and uh, we're sitting there. And I remember Henry yelling, hey, Danny, they're gonna top us off. Meaning they're gonna, yeah. And I go, yeah, I think so. And, and I remembered all this, all my life, Grammar school, middle school, high school, potential. Danny has a lot of potential, but he can't sit still. Danny has a lot of potential, but he won't stop talking. Danny has a lot of potential, but he won't 
stop doing burglaries. I mean, all this, I had all this potential. And, uh, and I remember sitting in a cell naked because you're naked and I'm, I'm, I'm looking, somebody got, got, uh, shit and scraped it on the wall and said, God sucks. And I remember, okay, God, you know, what happened to all that potential? I remember thinking about where'd my potential go? And I remember not wanting to die screaming and yelling and, and begging and, and pee in my pants. I said, dear heavenly father, just let me die with dignity. I'll say your name every day and I will do whatever I can for my fellow inmate. And I said, inmate, I never thought I was getting out of jail. And, uh, and by the grace of God, he said, okay, punk, I'm going to give you a chance here. DA reject, rejected it. Can I get this out of here? You guys deal with it. So they topped us. And uh, August 23rd, 1969, I'll never forget the month before uh, the, the, the parole agent that was on the board, Mad Dog Madden, that was his real name, Mad Dog Madden said, Trejo, we're going to give you a chance to spread your wings. You've been good for 11 months. You haven't gone for 11 days without some kind of beef. So uh, get out of here and bring us back a life sentence because I only had a 10-year top. But I'll never forget that. Just bring us back a life sentence so we won't have to bother with you anymore. And and I, 30 days later, August 23rd, I, I walked out of prison and I – shocked and uh, but I kept remembering you know that all right I didn't I didn't make a deal with God to get me a good job or not to let me get caught sneaking into my house because I was late or you know I said let me die with dignity you know so you know I might do that and I asked him a couple of months ago how am I doing God he said you're almost out of hell Trejo keep it up you know so Borrowed time, man. Good. Borrowed time yeah. ever since. I told you. I told you. It's like, it's it. You know what I mean? It's like, take me now. I, I, my kids are great. I got great insurance. They'll be all right. You know what I mean? It's like uh, uh, everything good that has ever happened to me has happened as a direct result of helping someone else. So, you know, I, what, what, oh, I got it. You know, I'm cool. You know, I just, I'll keep helping. Have you ever watched Peaky Blinders, the series? No. Okay, so to... British series, really huge. Some massive actors in it. Tom Hardy's in it. Some of the huge guys, and um, it's just after World War One. And in uh -huh. it, these guys have gone off and they've been in the Battle of the Somme, right, in World War One. And then yeah. all of them are sure that they're going to die. They get trapped in a tunnel and they're fighting the, the the Germans hand to hand, and they're all certain they're going to die. And they make a deal with each other down in one of the tunnels that's collapsed. And they say, if we get out of this, everything after that is extra. Yeah, and that's. Exactly That's, the same as the situation that you had there. Hey, I wasn't supposed to get out of the 60s by the grace of God. And it's funny. I, you know, when I had brain surgery, the, this uh, this uh, doctor, he said, I've never taken more blood out of somebody's head because I, I, I was uh, I was bleeding from two blood vessels. And, and uh, my daughter, she's a comedian. She goes, well, doctor, he has a lot of room up there. <laughs> 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 and then, and then the, the doctor said, he said, he said, you know, people have your injury, go home, go to sleep and die. You flew around the world, you know, 
And uh, and and my daughter said it again. She said, well, God's not through with him yet. And as she kind of stuck, and I thank you, Jesus. She said, you know, I, you know, I'm okay when you're through. I beat cancer. I beat hepatitis C. I beat brain surgery. You know, and, and so, you know, thank, I'm glad he's not through with me. I, I'll still keep doing his work. I love it, man. So you also beat a long, a bunch of long-standing addictions, right? Alcoholism, other sorts of drugs, hard drugs, heroin, weed, and stuff like that, all I've in solitary clean. in the same period. I've been clean now for. It'll be 53 years in August, and uh, and my life would not be the same if I hadn't. You know, I'd still be in drugs or in I'd still be in prison. But most people can't just get past that sort of a dependency on faith alone. Like just the fact no. that you've got, you, you know, you've made a deal with someone. There's all of these habits. There's a physiological dependency. There's a psychological dependency. There's a cultural impetus to come and do it. How, how did you break that? I've been going to 12-step programs since 1968. The first time I ever walked into a 12-step program was in, God, 1959. It was by accident. I thought it was a party. And, uh, and literally, uh, but I learned what it was. You understand? And, and now it's like I still I went to a meeting last night. You know, we're just getting out of this pandemic bullshit. And and now it's like, wow, we can go to meetings, you know. And and, and so I was seeing some of the friends that I've gotten. Uh, it was like this amazing feeling to, to be back in the fold, you know. And so I couldn't have done it alone. No way. And I feel sorry for anybody that does it. And people that try to do it alone, you should see them. Yeah, I'm sober. So what? Okay, I'm clean. They're angry. No, it's like I can't afford that, you know. And uh, resentment, resentment is like me taking poison, hoping you die. It's absolutely no good whatsoever. It, a resentment only hurts me. So what I have to do, I have to write about resentments and and get them out and say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry. I resented you because I thought you looked at my wife kind of disrespectfully or whatever. And you, hey, no way. I wasn't looking at your wife. I was looking at the look at that bay behind her, you know. <laughs> and then you know, so there's always a you know, people do things for themselves, not not to me. You understand? You know, I mean, if somebody does something to me, then, well, hey, wait, don't do that. You understand? That's the problem. But nine times out of ten, they weren't even thinking about me. It's weird that you can have someone who breaks their drug addiction, perhaps, on their own, you know, just sheer force of will or whatever it might be, but the price that they have to pay for that because they haven't done it in a program where they have a, a accountability right. and they have friends and socialize it out of them and let go and all that stuff you can be free from the drugs but not free from the thing that caused you to want the drugs in the first place exactly the last that's why the program that's what the program helps you with that's what the therapy helps you with is the things that started you on drugs the things that see because a lot of people get started on drugs and they just stop because maybe they don't have the same monsters inside that a drug addict has or or a pillhead has you know this i remember timmy sanchez tim sanchez my next door neighbor my grandma's i smoked weed you know what i mean and then i tried to carry timmy on. i turned timmy on to weed we were like nine and and he, he got sick he never smoked weed again yeah i don't like this 
And yet me, I was, I'd smoke weed here. <laughs> you know, I, I, I used to steal my uncle's weed. Mikey, give me some coffee, please. I would steal, I would steal my uncle's weed, you know, and, and, uh, and I loved it. And then, and then later on, you know, it's like, you just graduate. All right. So you're out of jail now and then you become a counselor. You start working, helping people. And then that actually leads you somehow into getting into the movie business. Yeah. One of the guys that I was working with to help us stay clean was a, an extra. He was like working as an extra and he got me into working as an extra because you got 50 bucks cash. They used to pay you 50 bucks. And then overtime, you, know, you could, God, you know, I'm going to make about 80 bucks in a night. You know? And so, so, uh, uh, it was cat. Don't tell the IRS. It was cash, right? And, <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> they'll come. Hey, in 1965, you made this much cash. But, uh, but uh, uh, I, uh, I was do, I was trying to do this, and then one night he calls me and says, "Hey, Dan, I'm down here and doing this film. There's a lot of blow down here, man. I'm, I'm kind of worried. I might use." And, and so I went down to hang out with him. I was on that movie anyway, and so I went down there. What did I do? I run into a guy named Eddie Bunker. And I'm looking at him, and I think I know you. Hey, you're Danny Trejo. I saw you in the lightweight and the welterweight title up in Quinn. I say, you're Eddie Bunker. What's up, Eddie? My uncle bought a robbery from Eddie Bunker in 1962, I think, right? And uh, and so I we started talking, and and he goes, yeah, what, what do you? I, I said, what are you doing here, Eddie? He says, I wrote the, I adapted the screenplay, and then. He asked me what I was doing here. I said, shit, they're giving me 50 bucks for acting like a convict. And uh, we laughed because we both been being a convict for free forever. Right? And uh, he says, uh, are you still boxing? I go, no, no, I train, man. I don't get hit in the face anymore. I'm 40 years old. You, know? you think I want to mess this up anymore? And he, and he, he says, he says uh, hey, we need somebody to train one of the actors how to box. And I said, what's it pay? Because I'm making 50 bucks a day. And he says, 320 a day. And I said, Eddie, how bad you want this guy beat up? You know, I thought, come on, 320 bucks? Scott have done it for another 50. And, uh, and he says, uh, no, no, wait. Danny, this actor's really high strung. He might sock you. Eddie, for 320 bucks? Give him a stick, homie. I've been beat up for free. And I start training an actor named Eric Roberts how to box for the movie Runaway Train. John Voight, Eric Roberts. Brilliant movie. Got nominated for Academy Award. Both Eric and John got nominated for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor. Brilliant movie. Andre Kajalowski, the director, one of the best directors ever. And... Uh, and literally, uh, uh, I uh, I started training Eric. Andre saw that I could handle Eric. Now, the the guy that they had cast to fight Eric in this movie was uh, almost as pretty as Eric. And and uh, I mean, basically, Eric is prettier than his sister. And so it was like, <laughs> two pretty no, guys up against each two, other. Yeah, two yeah, yeah. Guys against each other. Wait, this ain't gonna work. You know what I mean? And it, I mean, it, it looks silly. I mean, it, it, whoa, what is this? Like the Battle of the Queens or something? And just done. And uh, and then Eric wanted to wear these tight shorts, and you don't wear tight shorts in prison. And uh, 
But no, no, I want to wear the Okay, sir. So Andre, I remember Andre Kozlowski kept going, contrast. He was a Russian aristocrat. Contrast. Contrast. And he would go to Eric, go, oh. And then he'd go to this other guy, go, oh. And then, and then he'd go to me, he'd go, he'd go, ah. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie, is he making fun of me? Shut up, man. Just shut up. And uh, so I'm waiting there, and he goes, so uh, Eric says, okay, well, then I'll fight him. He picks me, right? So, so Andre saw that Eric would do whatever I told him to do, you know, and uh, and he, because he, you know, Eric's a movie star, and movie stars can do whatever they want. They're dicks, you know, I mean, really. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, uh, so, you know, sometimes they don't feel like working, so they'll just, no, no, I don't, not right now. I don't, I don't everybody be waiting, you know, and, and, uh, because he's in his trailers. So uh, Andre saw that if I told Eric, come on, let's go, he'd go. And so Andre comes up to me with, Danny, you be in movie and you fight Eric in movie and you be my friend. Now, if you come from a prison background, you're a little suspicious when somebody says, you be my friend. And you want to say, look, punk, I ain't going to shower with you. You know what I mean? So so, so I told Eddie, Eddie, now listen, I'm going to train the kid for 320. Because then Andre leans over and he kisses me on one cheek, kisses me on the other cheek, walks away. I said, yeah, I'll train the kid. But I, if I'm going to be kissing that old man, I want more money. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie says, no, no. He's European. He's European. Yeah, European. Exactly. they all do yes. it. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, so, but let me tell you, them, when I found out what that old man did with me, for me, uh, give me a, a psycho, she, he could have kissed me in the mouth. And, uh, <laughs> oh, Andre, I love you. I mean, <laughs> that's where I got my SAG card. That's, that's where I, all of a sudden, people, everybody on set, I went from, hey, you, to Mr. Trejo, would you like some coffee? <laughs> yeah. Two cups and, and sugar and cream, and give me one of those Pilates, the cookies. You know what I mean? And, and uh, anything is wow. That's when Eddie told me, "Listen, the whole world can think you're a movie star, but you can't." And I said, "Why?" And and he showed me. We walked up to a movie star and we listened to him. We listened to the people around him. Oh, oh, we love you. Oh, we love you. You got that pretty nose. Oh, look at your eyes, you're so beautiful. And then he walked away. I hate that punk. God, I'd like to kill that son of a bitch. He's entitled something. You know? And I said, wow. I said, my job is to leave every situation that I'm in better than when I got there, no matter what it is. So you were playing a lot of roles as inmate number one or bad guy inmate. number three or whatever bad it might be. Yeah, Never yeah. number three. Okay, I'm, bad guy number one. <laughs> uh, number two, I, I'll go for a number two. <laughs> so, But there must have been a point, uh, despite the fact that you're playing a role that you kind of had played for free throughout your life, there still must have been skill acquisition that you needed to do at some point, like remembering lines, you know, just drilling some of the things to do with on set, understanding how to interact with the camera and stuff like that. What were some of the challenges that you had there? I, I, I got to say that the first five years of my career really was like my training. You know, I was really a glorified extra. I would get called on the set as an 
as almost like an extra, but I'm SAG, so I'm making 320 a day. I'm standing there, and the director would inevitably say, Danny, say something prisony. And and they'd always prisony. take off my shirt. They always wanted, I'd take off my shirt. They wanted to see the dead. I'd get on a set, Trejo, take off your shirt. I don't have a set, I don't have a shirt. And hey, Danny, say something prisony. Hey, we'll kill all you sons of bitches. Oh my God, where did you study, Dan? I'm been- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. San Quentin. <laughs> San Quentin. Uh, this one, it was funny because there's one director. I was supposed to kick in this door, and uh, and they got four stunt people in there, and I'm supposed to rob this this uh, what do you call it? This poker game, and I've robbed poker game. So <laughs> kicked in the door, I busted. This one guy in the mouth, bang, I hit this woman, boom. And then I've got this gun on this big white guy. Move, move, move. I haven't shot a white guy all day. And and cut, my God, Danny, where did you study? I said, uh, Vons, Safeway, uh, uh, CVS. Uh. <laughs> and he didn't get it. I robbed a couple of poker games. In fact, the 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 robbery that my uncle bought from Eddie Bunker in '62 was a poker game. Been preparing, preparing for twenty years or something and like that. The first Eddie says, "Hey, the first half of your life was a character study. Remember that." <laughs> and so I mean, I've just been, you know, you know what? I didn't even know that I was being typecast. I didn't know what typecast was. I'm making 320 a day. What do I care about typecast? And the first time I ever got interviewed was like from some little girl fresh out of interview school or something, right? Because she immediately said, Danny, aren't you afraid of being typecast? And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you're being stereotyped as the mean Mexican guy with tattoos. I am the mean Mexican guy with tattoos. Shit, what are you talking about? I thought I had a brilliant, I thought I had a great career going. And now she's going to tell me I'm a, I'm a typecaster. And you got to remember, everybody is typecast. Tom Cruise is typecast as the leading guy. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, I'm not going to do a whole lot of babysitting. with with. <laughs> no, that's a lie. I did a movie called The Babysitter. And it was like, uh, they called me because they had this real troubled kid, and this kid glues my motorcycle to the ground, just does everything. And then <laughs> I end up screaming, running out of the house. I, I forgot what movie it was. But. So after you've done this stuff, you've been extraing, and then you must have had a point at which you thought, right, this is getting really serious now. I'm having to learn roles. I'm having to do a little bit more. When did you feel like you'd started to level up? I... I, you know, I, I can remember lines. I, I I heard somebody, Eddie Bunker, I, my mentor, he passed away. If you ever want to read a great criminal novel, read Education of a Felon, Eddie Bunker. Great. Really? Okay. And uh, uh, it was funny. Eddie Bunker said, that this old actor once said, remember your lines and don't bump into the furniture. And that was it. And Dennis Hopper, 
who's a friend of, I just dropped that name. Huh? Dennis Hopper said, Trejo, hey, if the scene says you drink water, drink the water. Don't act like you drink the water. You know what I mean? And I love him. He was awesome. Hopper, he was cool. And so he's one of my best friends. And, I, you know, I just learned along the way. So when I got a speaking role, my first real speaking role was with one of my heroes. Walk, talked exactly like my uncle Gilbert, a guy named Charles Bronson. I did Death Wish 4, and I grabbed him. In a, I'm in a bar. I grabbed him. And, hey, don't I know you? And it was like the director, loved, don't I know you? And pointed at him. He said, that was cool. And I didn't even know I did it. <laughs> you know, but it was just what I would do when I, you know, and so that was my style, do what I do, you know, and, uh, and he loved it. Anyway, I got blown up by Charles Bronson. That was another one. It was a good one, you know, and, uh, uh, it was, a, it was a great scene. What's and one Charles of you, or what is some of your favorite deaths given that you, the most killed man in Hollywood, what is some of your favorite ones? There's no better death in Hollywood. And it's a fact. When Robert De Niro, I begged Robert De Niro to kill me in heat. And it was funny because when we did it, we're sitting there, right? Before I went into makeup, we're both sitting there and Bob. <laughs> Bob, Bob said to me, what do you think, Trejo? I said, you know, I don't know. What do you think, Bob? How should I play this? And he said, I think you're already dead. And you know, I, I think you're already dead. And what do you mean? He said, well, you, you know, you, you just got enough in you to beg me to kill you. You just beg me to kill you. you every breath, you, the more and more you go, you know. And he said, what do you think? You know, I see it the same way, Bob. You just you hit a nail on the exactly what I was thinking. And so when we did it, it was like you see it. You see we dying. You see every breath, everything I say, uh, I die a little more. And then the end, I said, "Don't leave me like this, Holmes. Don't leave me like this." I swear to God, I have heard that a million times. I have heard that from clerks in the market. I've, I've heard that from grandmas pushing their car. Don't leave me like this, Holmes. Don't leave. You know, in markets, gas stations, everybody remembers that those lines. And thank you, Robert De Niro. <laughs> Big Bob coming in with the advice. I wanted to die. You come on again. I want to die like, all right, Holmes. This is John Wayne. You know, this is the way I wanted to go out. You know, but... God, man, it was like my daughter can't watch that scene. She said, "No, Daddy, I, I don't want, I can't," and she'd get up crying simply because she, don't you? That was your life. That's the way you were supposed to end, dude. And storms out, you know. So <laughs> yeah, but Bob told me to. So listen to Bob, right? Listen to yeah, Bob. Yeah, Bob yeah. Told me to. <laughs> what was this story about you and Kiefer Sutherland? Didn't you help him out with something? Yeah, Wasn't he in some he, trouble? Kiefer was uh What was it? I, he had hired some guy that he thought was tough. You know what I mean? Because 
guys in Hollywood like tough guys around them, but guys they can control. They don't like guys that are. It's like a security type thing? Yeah, right. And so, and this guy ended up to be a total jerk, right? And then they couldn't get him off the set because uh, uh, I think Kiefer promised him a SAG card. And so, he, hey, where am I going to get my SAG card? That kind of shit, you know. And when somebody says that, you're supposed to be quiet about it, you know, and, and, uh, and where am I going to get my line? You know, and, uh, and so anyway, they ended up escorting him off the, escorting him off the, uh, set. And about two weeks later, uh, I get a call on, uh, on, uh, George got a call. My friend, George Perry got a call and, uh, we're down in Venice Beach, and and uh, George, yeah, yeah, okay, all right, Kiefer, what's up? And, hey, you know where Danny's at? Blah. Yeah, he's right here. He gives me the phone. Word, Ben, Danny got a problem. Said, what's up? He's uh, somebody threatened my 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 family, and I'm like what? And somebody threatened his family. So he said, Zoom, and he told me, and. I said, okay, don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. No, 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 wait, Dad. And then he got scared. Said, hey, I'll take care of you. No, but wait, I, Kiefer, you want me to take care of it or not? Yeah, okay, all right, all right. Yeah. And uh, he was panicked, right? But but he didn't know what take care of it meant, you know? So, so Do you uh, think you were going to get this guy whacked? Yeah, I think so. He was, he didn't, he didn't, I don't have to whack anybody. But uh, <laughs> this this is a whacking, you know? And so I, I kind of, uh, me and George is kind of like, Told this guy, hey, it's the last thing you want to do, pal. You know what I mean? Put a cherry bomb up your ass and light it. And I think two days later, his wife got flowers. And I'm sorry. And uh, I ran into Keith. This was 10, 15 years ago. I ran into Kiefer probably five years ago. And... Uh, Hey, Kiefer, what's up? Hey, hey, Trejo, wait, hey, I've been meaning to call you. How, how you doing? You know? Because I've, had, I've helped a lot of people in Hollywood because a lot of them think like I'm some kind of thug or something. And 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 they, they I'll help them. They'll either love me and, and, you know, be friends that call up on Thanksgiving and come on over and that kind of, or be scared to death of me and just stay away from me. And I understand because if, if you're trying to be a man, if you're a man and you're Hollywood's got you thinking you're really tough, you know, and, uh, and you have to ask for help and this guy squashes whatever problem you had, then all of a sudden you're either going to take it as I'm weaker than him. Or he's my friend, you know. It depends on where your mind is, you know, so. Well, I guess you've got those yes men around people that you were talking about before. It can make that ego very fragile, right? It builds them up. It builds them up. It I, makes them feel invincible. Yeah, right, right. You know what? I don't got no yes men. My assistant is a guy named Mario Castillo that I met in San Quentin when I was doing Blood In, Blood Out. He was a resident. 
He won't say he was an inmate. I was a resident. I was renting a room. <laughs> and, uh, and if you look at him, if you look at the dictionary, my two best friends are a guy named Mario and Max. And if you look in the dictionary, Cholo Killer Gangster, it's got their pictures. Okay, this is both. That's just, and both of them came up the same way I did. And, uh, you know, uh, it's like uh, we all have, like, the same respect for each other. You know, I, whether I work for you or not, you will respect me, you know, period. And, and, and I do. They respect me. And I, uh, it's funny the way God works. I met Mario in 1991 and been my friend ever since. <clears throat> he was in Quentin. When he came out, he got clean and sober. And, uh, <clears throat> I lived with him and Max for a while when I went through divorce. Then when I bought a house, he came to live with me because he got sick and lost his job. And I said, well, work for me. So, so uh, became my assistant and ended up saving my son's life. Talk to me about how much fun it was to do Con Air because that's a lot of big guys, big actors. Funny. That Con Air was so funny. They got all the wannabe tough guys in uh, in Hollywood, right? And put them all on the same plane. And everything was a contest. I mean, if you, <laughs> you would spit, somebody would spit farther, and everybody would start spitting. See, this, a push up, same thing, same thing. All, all this. This, you know, there was a guy there, Benny Ukitas, Benny the Jet. He was a five-time world kickboxing champion. And uh, he was, uh, uh, oh, God, what was his name? Con Air, the cop that was a good cop. Uh, John, my God, I can't remember that. Matuzak, John Cusack. Right? John Cusack, yeah. And people don't know it. John Cusack is bad. I mean, this guy, he can he can he can bend uh, uh, a heavy bag with his foot. Uh, you know, because because Benny Yukitas was his sensei, and his sensei was also on the moon. So every lunch, when everybody started having these contests, Benny Yukitas would come, come on, Danny, get me and take me. Uh, what is it, Benny? What why you keep pulling me away? You know, he says, Danny, you grew up with my brother Mondo. And Mondo was as tough as Benny. You know, Mondo was an adult feed. And he said, You're exactly like my older brother. And my older brother was a bad sport and didn't play well with others. Neither do you. <laughs> and he said, And I know those guys, they're playing. Ha ha! I beat you games. You know I don't play. I mean I'll 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 play fun with my kids and people, but but there's no winner, there's no loser. You know because when you come to a winner and a loser, uh, there's people that don't want to be losers. You know and that's not good. That's again like that resentment. You know that resentment, resentment. Way resentment works, okay? It's here, and say, like, "Wow, that guy beat me spitting. Oh, he thinks he's tougher than me. Oh, he probably thinks I'm a punk. Oh, wait a minute, you are a punk." So, no, I don't. You can't let that build. So, 
I understood what Benny was doing. You know? I love it, man. What about Anchorman on set? How was that? <laughs> and funniest guy in the world. I would hate to be that guy. That uh, uh, Oh, God. I, come on. I can't remember names. But anyway, people would laugh when he would walk into a room. The lead. Who was the lead in Anchorman? That was it. Um, Mike. Will Ferrell, right? Will Ferrell. Okay, he walks in, people start laughing. He has this aura of everybody laugh. And so, but God, he was funny. You know what I mean? And I loved working with him. Well, you've and got then, the alternative, right? He's the one that when everyone walks into a room and they all laugh and you walk mm -hmm. into a room and everybody's terrified of you. Everybody's get quiet. <laughs> but you know what's funny? In, uh, in Blood In, Blood Out, we did... We were La Onda. We were our gang was La Onda, you know, and it was patterned after the Mexican mafia. But we didn't call it the Mexican mafia. We had gave them that respect. The big problem Eddie did was he didn't get it right, and he called it okay. So anyway, I walk into a club, and there'll be like three guys. You can tell three guys from the mafia. They they'll be sitting there, and girls will be sitting. Around. And they when I walk in, they all stand up, La Onda, you know, and because because it was a joke. You understand? They understand. We didn't try to disrespect them. We didn't try to say that their leader got raped. You know, it's bullshit. But and so it's like I think you know. So I've lived this life. There was Mundo. There's a guy Mundo who was one of the top dogs in the mafia. He did a documentary and he said Danny Trejo is blessed. Because people on both sides of the fence respected. That's the biggest compliment anybody could give me, you know. And and uh, and uh, I like that. You know, I like being respected on both sides of the fence. I can walk into any prison in the in the United States and 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 get love. I I I can go into any neighborhood. You know, and hey, uh, yeah. and that's beautiful. That's that's like what God's given me. Danny Trejo, ladies and gentlemen, Trejo, my life of crime, redemption, and Hollywood will be linked in the show notes below. Hey, you know what? I also I got a record label, Trejo's Music, and we're getting ready to drop a single, and it's called "If You Don't Mind." Trish Toledo and Coda the Barber. And I got I've got some singers that are unbelievable. I got I got Jasmine Torres, Diana Gonzalez, and Tara New. So they're gonna we're gonna drop their album pretty soon, and it's gonna be awesome. And I just I just want to keep doing it. And if any of you are in Los Angeles, stop at my restaurant, Trejo's Tacos, Trejo's Cantina. Hey, call me. I'll Danny, you're you. a sick guy, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank keep on rocking, you, brother. God bless you.